House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. We have uh, joining us is uh, the Darkness Dave from uh, Coast to Coast. You probably heard him, or of course Darkness Radio, and uh, kind of the. Uh, you know what can I say? I, there's just so much I can say about him. I, I've heard he's just incredible. So let's let's bring him on. I, I think he's sitting in a car somewhere on the street. Um, I don't know doing what. But uh, Dave, thank you for being here. I'm living in a van down by the river. That's what I'm doing <laughs> in my van. Uh, you know, I had that I had that impression, but I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to give it away because you might get some. Uh, um, some, you know, so are we totally are we totally are we totally done with the Pornington bear story, or is there more to that one? I hope there is, but oh, and that, that's all it said. That's, that's the update currently. It just said that parents were really annoyed because they thought they should have been told um, sooner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it says you do not have you do not expect to have it in the school. You try your best to prevent it at home. Some children take it with a pinch of salt, but other kids are traumatized. Oh, yeah. I need help. Well, that, good. Next time, yeah. send home permission slips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait till Pornington Bear Part 2 comes out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pay-per-view on that. Oh, okay. So, Dave. Um, yes. Um... I don't know where to start now. Uh, oh, let's let's do some of the generic. Um, so, uh, um, now you have been doing the paranormal thing for over ten years uh, on radio and things. Who were your influences to get you going in paranormal? Well, you know, I guess uh, the paranormal's been kind of stalking me my whole life. I've had experiences with ghost after she passed when I was about three years old, two and a half, three. Um, I saw what I believe was a Bigfoot in Foley, Alabama back in uh, when I was about 10 years old. Uh, then, you know, UFOs over Charlotte Lake, Washington. Um, it's just, you know, I've, I've had a really interesting life and it's always been around me. And I had my mom and my aunt were, you know, always reading and talking about those kind of books and, uh, uh, you know, we'd watch documentaries and sightings and in search of and, and you know, unsolved mysteries. And that's, uh, I just, my mind was filled with that. I was fascinated by all the different stories. So that's kind of what spawned my interest in continuing to try to understand the paranormal. Alabama, that was probably Kevin. It wasn't a big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hadn't shaved in quite a while. Yeah. That's, you know. Hey, well, actually, um, but in the business itself of radio, was there anybody that that you sort of thought was pretty incredible um, on air? Yeah, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago in the seventies uh, and eighties, and I had the opportunity to hear just some of the greatest radio hosts, you know, from uh, Wally Phillips and Roy Leonard on WGN. And Roy became a mentor of mine. He would actually allow me when I was a teenager to come in and sit in the studio and watch him do his show and answer any questions. And he was fantastic. And then when I went off to college, I would call him and talk to him about the radio show I was hosting, and he would give me tips and hints and ideas. And he was just 
he, he was amazing. Uh, and I grew up listening to the, the fantastic Larry Lujak in Chicago and Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer and Jonathan Brandmeyer. And I just, I wanted to be a radio guy since I was probably 10 years old. And I used to sit in the garage with my buddy Rick and we'd have that old black tape recorder and our Kmart, you know, blank cassettes and pop them in and we'd be Dave the Wave and Rick Slick and we're counting down today's top 20 hits and we'd do our silly stuff and sometimes we'd break open a Hardy Boys book and we'd try to act it out on, on tape and do like old time radio. So it's just always been a part of who I am and and what I wanted to do and I'm lucky enough to get to, you know, follow my dreams and be on radio and talk about the paranormal. So what was your first experience actually doing a radio show? Uh, you know, this actually, how I even got into radio was a little bit paranormal. Um, I went to Winona State University, and it was my first time away from family, and I waited a few years after high school to go to college. And uh, I just enjoyed hanging out at the house drinking with my buddies. And they kept encouraging me, you know, you got to get off the couch and go have a life trader. Go out and meet people, you know, aside from your four roommates, go meet other people. So I uh, went out one day. And there was this stunning blonde in short shorts and a ponytail. Thank you, 1980s. And I started following her, started following her across campus. And this is before stalking was creepy. And uh, was following to see where she was heading off to. And she headed into the Performing Arts Center at Winona State University. And I said, oh, Performing Arts. I've done plays. This might be interesting. And I followed her in. And she started going up the stairs. So I followed her up the stairs. Did I mention short shorts? And uh, we got up to uh, the hallway, and she ducked into one of the rooms. And I walked up and looked at the room, and it said, KQAL, 89.5, your radio alternative. And then the sign next to it said, currently seeking hosts. Apply within. So I opened up the door, and I walked in looking for the blonde, thinking, wow, she works at a radio station. I might need a job here. And I walked in and met a bunch of great guys and gals, and the blonde was nowhere to be seen, and... They had me all signed up, ready to start training, of, you know, the, the following day. And then I asked uh, the program director, Howard, hey, there was a blonde with a ponytail and short shorts that came in here just before me. And he kind of looked at me perplexed. He goes, I don't think so. And I said, well, I followed her in here. And I said, is there another door she could get out? And he goes, no, she would have had to go out through the actual production room, which is live right now, and she wouldn't have been able to do that. And I said, uh, well, I, I swear I followed her in here, and she uh, vanished. So this beautiful blonde in short shorts pulled me through the uh, Performing Arts Center, and that was it. So I was I was smitten like a kitten, and uh, and I ended up in radio. And that's where I met Tim Dennis, my co-host and, and producer, and we stayed friends for the last Oh, boy, 30 years, and uh, decided to, uh, he was working at a radio station that needed a fill-in spot on a Sunday night at 11 o'clock to midnight, and we started doing Darkness Radio on January 1st, 2006, and we've been uh, been, in, been at it ever since. Oh, that is incredible. <laughs> so, yeah. you, I mean, honestly, I know this is going to sound like a dweeby question, but do you think that was a, a spirit guide that was maybe like, hey, let me lead you to your destiny, and I know what you like, so you're going to follow. I don't know, but I'd certainly like to get in touch with my spirit guides more often, if that's the case. See, <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. It was. It, it was, you know, the, the motivation and the kick in the britches I needed to get out the door and go find this, and uh, 
And I did, and there she was, and that's the radio, and that's, yeah, I mean, so that was truly my first um, foray into radio, and uh, it was a haunted radio station, of course, because it was on the college campus, the Performing Arts Center, and I think you're supposed to have, every college has to have a haunted Performing Arts Center. So we, uh, we, right, we did that and, and hung out and um, saw things, weird things at night. I'd be there. I, I did a late-night shift on Sundays called Sunday Night Softly from 10 to 2, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., and I did all slow music by request, and I'd have all the lights down, kind of like Venus Flytrap from WKRP in Cincinnati. And um, it was just, uh, it was awesome. And I all of a sudden, I'd see something move. And I'd go out and look, and there'd be nobody in in the other room. And I'd get back in, and I'd see somebody walk past the window again. So I had those kind of experiences. Uh, You know, so like I said, my life has kind of been embroiled in the paranormal, whether I wanted it to be or not. So from your early um, experiences, Dave, um, and to from where you were when you set up the radio, how have your, your investigation techniques changed? Well, I don't use ghost bloods or virgin sacrifices anymore. It's just too hard to get it out of the carpet. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I used to think we had to have all the expensive bells and whistles and uh, every everything you could possibly need. And I, I kind of gotten away from that, I believe, in using more who I am to experience the moment. And, you know, I use an audio recorder and a camera, and that's about it. And that's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, so I, I, you know, I really like doing that kind of work uh, when I do an investigation, and and just kind of being in the moment, taking notes, what I notice, what's going on, watching how other people react to situations and scenarios that unfold. I'm absolutely with you on that. What is it that changed from you know thinking about all of the equipment, etc., to that understanding of? the best investigators is actually ourselves. I think it was just realizing how many times I'd miss something looking down at my equipment and somebody would say, did you see that? Oh my God, a guy just walked right past us. And I was like, damn it. No, I was looking down. You know, I was trying to turn on my K2 meter or, you know, switch on the, uh, the SB seven. And, and I just wasn't in the moment. I wasn't paying attention. And I noticed that when I stopped focusing on the equipment and focusing more on the surroundings, I became part of more prominent issues and more prominent, uh, you know, moments with with a lot of people. So I, that I prefer. I'd, I'd rather walk away with the experience of having witnessed and seen something myself than having captured it on a camera without, you know, without my eyes. Because I'll question what I caught on camera constantly. If I see it unfold before my very eyes, I'll question it, but it's a lot more impactful to me. So um, I've noticed from, from things written about yourself on Darkness Radio, it's, it talks about you having participated in hundreds of investigations. And what what do you think is your preferred investigate type of investigation? So how would you have um, been informed about the alleged haunting? Where might that place be? And what would you do to plan for an investigation? You know, that's varied through the years as well. I used to like to know everything up front and go in, you know, forewarned is forearmed. And I, I kind of stay, stayed away from that now. I kind of like to not know a whole lot about, I, I just want to know it's haunted or reportedly haunted. I want to know where, you know, how long it's been haunted. If there's any name or two, I don't need to know their backstory. You know, if we know, hey, Josh is on, you know, in the house and Abigail, 
That's all I really want because, truthfully, I don't believe they're stuck in one room. If they're in the house, they can probably move about. And, you know, they may get irritated with who's investigating that room anyway. Maybe they'll come to me if I'm calling them by name. And uh, I've just kind of adjusted that way throughout the years just to make it as easy as I can and, and accessible as I can and, and hopefully so the people around me can have a good experience as well. And, and it doesn't mean I don't use equipment. I like my SLS camera. I like my, uh, my Iobolus. I like the, um, you know, some of those tools. But I, I really want to try to soak in what's going on as well. I've been trying to, you know, open more to the environment. And, and I don't want to say become more psychic or mediumistic because I believe you're going to see something or you're not. You're either, you know, tuned in or you're not tuned in. And I've been next to psychics who don't see anything and been next to somebody, you know, uh, who is as psychic as a doorknob and they see a full-on apparition walk right past them. Yeah. Do you, do you think it's, um, I mean, do you receive, inf- hang on, I'm trying to find a word this, if you, if you go on an investigation, is it usually something where somebody has approached you and said, we're worried about this, or we've experienced this in this particular place, or is it more well, of paranormal groups? I've hosted, I've hosted a lot of events around the world where we go investigate haunted locations. And usually they're not calling us in. We're, we book the location and we're bringing people out so they can try to have an experience. Um, but I have done private investigations. And I usually try to limit those. Um, you know, I, I try to just keep those to, you know, people that really need it and, and um, you know, they're in danger or afraid or they have children or elderly people involved. Uh, and usually it's more just to kind of talk them off the ledge and walk them through giving them back their own power so they don't feel that they're a victim and that they're powerless in these situations. And sometimes you talk to somebody whose kid has been terrorized by spirits in their room for years or weeks or months, and I leave and they never have another problem. And I didn't go in with my Ghostbuster trap and, you know, holy water and smudge stick Sometimes it's just talking to the kid and empowering the kid to let him know this is what you could be experiencing. And if you're bothered, tell them to leave you alone because they may not even realize they're scaring you. And I'm sure they don't want to scare you. And once you've kind of gotten the confidence level up with the people that are having problems, their problems seem to go away. Uh, and then there are the other side. There are some people you just can't convince, you know, they're not haunted. There's, you know, I had a lady who sent us a bunch of pictures, and, and all these pictures, they were matrix, you know, um, pareidolia pictures. You look at them, and it's, yeah, I see the shadow, and yeah, it, the shadow's similar to Elvis Presley's face, but it's not. It's just a shadow. And you can't sell them on any other thing, you know. I, this woman insisted she had the granddaddy of all photographs, and she sent me this picture of this mining town in Pennsylvania that closed in the mid-80s. She said, nobody's there. Nobody lives there. Nobody works there. And I took this photograph. Can you see the guy standing in the doorway? And I said, yeah, that's not a ghost. And she got all huffy with me. And she said, well, then explain it to me. So I went on eBay, and I typed in James Dean cardboard cutout, and I sent it to her. And she said, well, I can see how you think that's what you're looking at, but I promise there was nothing there. So then I took her picture, and I put it side by side with my picture, and I circled the hair and the red jacket and the handout and the white T-shirt. And she still could not fathom the idea that it was not a ghost. There was just no talking her out of it. Even though when I blew them up and you put them right next to each other, there's no denying it was a cardboard cutout of James Dean. And those were big in the 1980s. They used to, if you 
remember they took Elvis, Marilyn, and James Dean and they photoshopped Coke cans and Diet Coke cans in their hand for an advertising program. So that was just part of the, the time. And, uh, you know, it's just like I said, people want to believe so bad sometimes they'll let logic go out the window. Absolutely. One of, one of the things that I feel really strongly about is that when people do paranormal investigations, they're investigating somebody else's experience. So you're going out and you undertake an investigation because something has been reported in a specific location, whether that, whether that be a big venue or a, or a private house. And yet groups take, take you know, quite large groups of people out at all different times, when if you're really trying to investigate something that's happened, you would try and replicate that at the same time, in the same place, in the same set of circumstances. So, and when I was in very early days, many years ago, um, undertaking paranormal investigations with groups of people, over the kind of years, I thought, this is just, this is madness. What, what, what am I doing? Because I just couldn't see the point of taking people overnight on an investigation where actually activity and the specific investigation I needed to make might have happened in the afternoon. Right. Well, and, and I think it's, it's all up to, interpretation. And I'm like you, you know, if somebody tells me that the ghost of grandma walks through the room at three in the afternoon, I'm not going to show up at 10 o'clock at night with my team and investigate till four in the morning. I'm going to show up at noon and start setting up my equipment and see if I can capture the ghost. And I'm not going to tape black plastic bags over the window to make it darker. I want it in the original parameters of how people experience these moments and then see if I can give them answers. You know, the fleeting ghosts out of the corner of your eye and, oh, they're all over. All right, well, tell me about that. When does it happen mostly? Usually at night when I'm sitting in my recliner and the lights are off and I'm watching TV. Bam. It's not a paranormal experience. Well, how can you say that? Well, I can tell you this because the TV is constantly flickering. And if you don't believe me, turn the TV on in one room, all the lights off, go into another room down the hall and watch the wall and watch how fast that light's flickering all the time. It's constantly changing. Your eyes are trying to adjust. And you've got floaters in your eyes. Those are the little pieces of dust and, and weird, wormy-looking things that you'll see uh, when you're staring off into space. Um, and, and those will pass by through your eye, and with a flickering light, it'll give the impression something's moving. And so, you know, yeah, you have to keep it the way the investigation pristine. But in places like the Stanley Hotel and the Queen Mary Hotel and and uh, Waverly Hills Sanitarium, and, and Eastern State Penitentiary, and Rolling Hills, um, Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Those are all places I've been to, and activity just kind of takes place whenever it wants to. You can go one night and nothing happens. You can go the next night, and you're hearing audible screams in the hallway. Uh, you could go at night, and nothing happens. You could go during the day, and your desk, you know, they're blowing papers off your desk and, and slamming your, your cabinet drawers. So it, it just kind of whenever it works. But let's face it, most people that go to large entertainment venues to, to meet their favorite paranormal celebrities, they want to investigate in the dark because it adds the creep factor. It's why everybody goes to haunted houses at Halloween and they ride thrill rides at amusement parks. They want that moment. They want to feel that, that chill and that what if it happens right now. And sometimes the what if is all it needs for some people. What's the single most, um, the biggest piece of learning that you've you've had over the last 10 years? I think it's the fact that I don't necessarily believe we're dealing with dead people. Okay. Um, in the sense of, you know, uh, grandma dies and now her ghost is bumping around in the house. Yeah. I look at a location like a book. 
All right, the back cover is the beginning of time. The top cover is the end of time when the world just snuffs out. In between all of those pages, that is the location. So where the Stanley Hotel resides has always existed. The hotel hasn't, but that property has. So that's the back cover. And then every layer is they built up the hotel, and every year, every year is another page. Every, you know, day is a page, whatever you want to look at it as. And I think that just sometimes those pages get a little wet, and you can see the lettering in the pages behind them. And if you've ever gotten a page wet, you'll know what I mean. When you're, when you're reading a book, it'll kind of show through. And I think that that's more what we're dealing with. I think we're seeing echoes in time as opposed to real communicative spirits. But, Dave, what about this? I saw a ghost, and it saw me, and it ran the other way, and it communicated, and it, well, right. But I think in most of those cases, like Waverly Hills I mention a lot, Look at, they were talking about how haunted it was back in the day, back when it was a fully functioning hospital. There were weird experiences and nurses would see things and take off running and they'll, they'll admit to that. Well, we're in there investigating. We round the corner and there's this nurse and she stops and sees us and turns and runs. Who was haunting who at that moment? If it's a ghost, why did it turn and run away from us? I think that in that moment it was a time slip and they saw us, we saw them. And that, therefore, it became haunted. And I, I think what I've learned through the time is that time, as we know, is not linear. So people that think we're experiencing the past when we're dealing with a haunting are thinking too, too much in the box. We may be hearing ourselves haunting, you know, the house. We may be hearing uh, the, the next set of family that live in that house that's haunting it because we're still in that same place in that same spot it's always there it's just echoes that go through there from time to time and you're able to hear them see them or witness them man you you have dave you have touched two of my favorite theories and and let let me amend this one first i'm with you because i'm a firm believer of universes on top of universes multi-layer universes and sometimes we're looking into the other universe. Sure. And, and, and they're, you know, possibly seeing us. Uh, what was that movie Nicole Kidman played in it where she thought, that's it. That's yeah, it. I mean, that, that movie sums it up perfectly. She thought she was being haunted, but it was a group of, of people performing a seance and, a, you know, on the other side. Right. And let, so I'd like to relative to how you experience that. I think. Yeah, it, it, it's more physics, you know, quantum physics, right. than it is really paranormal. Yeah. But but I, I'm glad you brought up the creep factor because I want to run this by you. This is another theory that that I believe in. How many people go to a location expecting a haunt? Uh, you know, like you said, you know, the rite of passage, Waverly Hills, Bobby Mackey's. Um, you know, Eastern, you know, the penitentiary. How many right. people go there expecting an experience and actually create it themselves, um, be it imaginary or a thought form? Sure. I think that's probably most of it, and people can roll their eyes. Listen, we've all seen enough TV shows to know three scratches mean we're in the presence of a demon. Well, if you're going in worried about bumping into a demon and you get three scratches, I, I ask my people this all the time. Okay, I don't disavow demons. I know that they exist. I know that they do wicked, evil things. But I can guarantee a, a, a 
demon didn't give you three little scratches on your back or on your arm. Well, Dave, it wasn't there before. You know, the mind can manifest amazing things. As a matter of fact, during hypnosis, you can hypnotize to believe that they're burning and their skin will boil. Their skin will, will bubble. Um, it's, it's a lot to do with the mind. And again, another perfect example, there are, uh, schizophrenic multiple personality disorder, uh, people who have two or three personalities and one of those personalities is a diabetic. How, how does that work? How does that work? How, how is that person's blood sugar crash when they become the diabetic personality? So our, our brains and our bodies can manifest things in strange ways. And I can guarantee you, if I told, if I started telling people, all that you've heard is garbage, a real demonic haunting, when you get scratched, it looks like a checkerboard. And then you told that on your show. And then we told uh, Jason and Grant on Ghost Hunters, and then they told Zach and, and Aaron on Ghost Adventures, and then it went over to Most Haunted, and that that was the way. All of a sudden, I guarantee you, people will start seeing checkerboards scratched on themselves. Yeah, and it just gets so cliche. Right. You know, you would think after a while that demons would become aware that we're expecting it, and so maybe they may start doing two scratches. I I don't know, but we've always been taught that where the mind goes, the body follows. You know, to, to, uh, to amend your example... How many of you have gone to work and somebody there has the flu and they start coughing or sneezing and, and then all of a sudden you start feeling, uh-oh, I'm a little queasy, uh-oh, you know, and, and you begin to manifest symptoms or sympathy pains, you know. Ah, we, we, we create a lot of our own haunts. I, I believe that. I agree. Yeah, I'm feeling yep, I, I, I just... Where does spirit communication, as in through leadership, fit into that? I, I don't know what just changed, but all of a sudden I'm hearing echoes. Have you guys crossed over to the other side? <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not yet. Okay, good. Yeah, all of a sudden, whoever was just speaking, I could just hear wah, 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 a really weird echo effect going on. Oh, that was the obviously from Charlie Brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm sorry, what was your question? So the question was, where does, um, I suppose, the view of mediumship fit into the theory? Uh, that's a great question. I think, in all honesty, that we are, a, a, for lack of a better term, we are a, a memory in case of hard drive. And all of our experiences stay with us in a kind of card catalog of energy, if you will. And we're now finding, and science is realizing, that there is a real thing called genetic memory, that's something you can pass down through your bloodline. And it only makes sense. So what you're experiencing, the memories you're having that you may think you're reincarnated or so, may just be echoes or memories through your DNA strand. And I think what really good mediums are capable of doing, which is no less impressive, I think it's amazing, but I think that they can access those card catalogs. And that's why the messages are so fragmented, because our memories are so fragmented. Well, but Dave, they told me something I would have never known. This, you know, I never knew my great-grandmother had twin sons that passed away. Well, no, you didn't know that, but she knew that. 
and her blood is in your blood, and it's been passed through, so there's probably that echo memory resounding through your DNA. And it may just be a part of our personal Akashic records. You know, it's the family lineage records that they're able to tap into. So are they truly talking to somebody who died and came back, or are they talking to somebody who died, you know, and now this is the memory download that's left of who they are? But you can, but a medium can still then access that information about other people not connected to them in any way, shape, or form. Or would you say that they right. had been connected previously? Well, again, it's it could be that they were connected previously. It could be the fact that they're, you know, I'm I'm saying if they've got the ability to tap into this deal, they're, they're probably getting seepage and leak over. It's like old TVs, if you remember before cable. The old TVs when you only had four or five channels, right? If you didn't tune it in properly, you'd get static and you'd get kind of bleed over from other channels and you'd have to tune it properly. So I think once in a while they might just be getting bleed over from other people and other people's stories that are coming through. I, I just, I don't know. I've got medium friends that say, yeah, that's probably what's going on. I've got other mediums that swear up and down they're talking to a dead person. And I have no way to disavow either side of that story. Um, so it just, you know, it it is what it is. But I, I feel like if I'm going to go through the veil of time and space to come back to give Alan Warren a message. I'm not going to go, um, okay, here's a bouquet of roses. All right, so the medium knows that means I love you. And um, now I'm going to show myself fishing because I'm trying to get through to him. I'm just going to say, hey, remember the time we went fishing? I'm going to be as, as concise as I can be. I don't know why there are these flicker moments, and I think that's why a lot of them is they're tapping into the memories or tapping into what is a dormant part of who we are. Uh, how about this theory, though, Dave? Um, that a medium no, operates. I hate, I hate it already. I hate it. Don't even say it. I'm just okay. kidding. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> you had me sweating there for a minute. Um, how about a medium can operate like a radio frequency? Now, we were just talking about multiple existence uh, all at once, and perhaps a medium operates differently and has that frequency that is able to actually reach into the other side and speak to the dead. Because perhaps the dead are simply energy themselves living in an energy existence. And that very well could be. I, we have no way to narrow that band. But I just, I feel like the messages are so basic and bland. And I, I'm pretty sure that if you guys were told I was the greatest medium that ever lived, I could probably take each one of you in a separate room and do a reading that was pretty much just a carbon copy of the other reading, just slightly adjust it, and it would make sense to each one of you. Yes. And I think if I did that enough, I could, I could be very proficient at it. And I think that if that's the fact, that's why a lot of mediums don't want you to record, and they don't want to videotape it, because they don't want you putting it up on YouTube, and then they go, hey, well, you know what? I went and I saw ABC Medium as well. They gave me the same damn message. So I'm not, I've seen some mediums do amazing things. I've seen them pull information that I just don't understand how they ever got to that. So I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing the idea of mediums. I've seen them do some stuff. I've seen some fantastic mediums. Michael and Marty Perry from spiritart.com are two of the best. Mark Anthony, the psychic lawyer, he's fantastic. So I've, I've had the opportunities to, to talk to some of these people that can make these connections. But... Again, what is it they're really connecting with? 
And they'll even tell you, if you give them information up front, it may color the reading that they give you because they're going at it from a different perspective. And if I can color the true meaning of it, if I tell you this is what happened, this is what I'm trying to communicate with, now they're not able to necessarily define if they're getting real information or is it what they would perceive would be the information from what I just told them. And that's why most good mediums will say, no, 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 don't tell me anything. Just yes or no, confirm what I just said to you or not. Don't give me the details because yeah. the details are what's going to happen. Right. I think I'm, I'm kind of not sitting on the fence with this one, but I, I definitely think I'm, as a medium, I, I fall in between the two kind of theories. I don't know why and how I get the information I do, and I certainly wouldn't say it's through this or this means. So, or, you know, right. I think it's the theory is, is, is a good one that we are linking into past memories of people, um, or, you know, past experiences, different times, uh, parallel worlds. I, I, I get all that, and I think that's possible. Um, I, have a, I have knowledge of my spirit guide, but I still wouldn't say that I, I could absolutely, hand on heart, 100% say I get information from dead people. I get information, right. and I pass that information over, but, that, but that, where that's from and who that's filtered through, I, I don't know. And here's what I will tell you, um, and I think that's fantastic, and, and I love that you're admitting that, that you can't guarantee me where you get the information, but the fact is you're getting information that is powerful and good. And here's part of where my journey has changed to. My mom passed away a little over a year ago, and we were very close. She was my best friend. She was my biggest advocate, and we were both fascinated by the paranormal. And uh, two days before she passed, I said, you're going to come back and let me know there's something there, Mom, right? And she said, you know I will. And it's been over a year, and I have never gotten a message. I've never had a dream about her. I've never heard three knocks on the ceiling to let me know that she loves me. There's nothing that's come through. And I have to stay away from most of the mediums that I know because they knew her personally. So I don't trust that the message that I get from them will be a true message as opposed to, you know, what they, A, may think I need to hear or B, what they think my mom would want to say. So it's, and they'll admit that to you. You know, they, they told me, I, you know, I can get you messages, but I would have a hard time discerning, you know, if it's a real message or if it's me knowing you and, and giving advice. And I, I appreciate that kind of respect up front. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating. It, it is what it is. It's, it's a great mystery, and it's great to hear that people have this ability, and I wish more people would tune into that intuition and give in to experiencing life and making that connection with one another because that connection exists. It is no doubt there. And it's just how do we realize it and what do we do to allow it in? Some people run terrified from it. Some people are grasping it and smothering it like a love that they want so bad and, and it doesn't come through. I think it's those that kind of settle in the middle that just say, I'm just going to let this be. I'm going to let this happen. And, you know, I'll develop it that way instead of forcing a round peg into a square hole and calling it psychic. And I think, you know, when you do that, that's when you start to see problems. But I, I will also tell you, there are a lot of bashers out there who absolutely hate mediums and psychics, and they're like, oh, they're just scamming the, the needy and the, the people that are hurt and broken and need some kind of validation, and they're, they're con artists, they're rip-off artists. And I'll, I will say this, listen, I've personally been on a psychologist's couch and I've been there for a long time, and every week it's picking scabs that I thought were healed over and making me mad or sad 
or or disappointed all over again. But I've seen people that are like that, but they go have a medium reading, and they, in one hour, will pacify those fears and concerns and questions, if that makes sense. You know, that it, it's like, okay, so you spent $150 for a medium to tell you something that made you feel better and made you feel like there's a real connection, and you got that closure with mommy or daddy that you didn't have because you wondered if they're proud of you or love you or whatever. And that healing moment is more powerful than 500 hours on the psychotherapist's couch. And where is the real scam? Where is the real? I know I'm going to start getting emails from psychologists and psychotherapists, but I'm just saying, you know, I think there are flaws in every market and every healing modality, but work with work, you know, go with what works best for you. And if you feel connecting to the other side and getting those answers will work, great. Now, what would you say, what would, what would your response be to a person that says that you're not actually speaking to any spirits at all, that you're actually speaking to demonic forces? Uh, I, I would say bring me the proof. What did, now, here's, here's what you get. If, if I give you a message, right, and the message comes through and says, Alan, I love you, I forgive you, it's, it's okay, you know, I'm happy now. I don't believe that would be demonic. Or if that was the first message, and then Alan came back and, you know, thanks a lot for, for checking in with me, Dave. And, you know, should I keep moving forward with my radio show? Yeah, you should, you should definitely keep. You're a powerful man, and you've got a great reach, and you make people's lives different. But your co-host has to die. Yeah. Then I think you might have a demon. Right? Whoa. Then you, then you might have a demon involved. If they start trying to push you to do things that are outside of your normal life and, and trying to make you do or, or act darkly. But I think a lot of people hide behind demon to give them a reason for why they do horrible, hateful things. Mm, and let's just face it, people are crap and, and they make bad decisions because they're, they're fallible and they make bad decisions. It has nothing to do with the demonic realm. And I just think people need to take more accountability for who they are. And we always started talking about the demons as well. Most of these messages are messages of love and, and affirmation and positivity. And how do you call that demonic? How do you, you know, if that's demonic, then maybe we need to reevaluate what we think of demons because if making me feel better by surrounding me with love and comfort from somebody I love and giving me a message of hope is demonic, then that's not a bad thing. Oh, well, they're just trying to fool you, though. They're, they're trying to befriend you sure. and get you to trust them. Right, but how many stories really turn out that way? How many stories really turn out where at the end, once they've got you in, they start changing? That's, that's horror movie stuff. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen from time to time. But that's when people go into haunted locations and do stupid things like, oh, the, the ghost of the little boy, Billy, you can come home with me. I've got a house full of children. We would love to have you there. How stupid are you? You can't see it. You're going to ask it into your life? That's where you're getting more trouble. Or you, you like to pick on families, huh? Well, come on. Do something to me. Pick on me. Possess me. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't buy into that because I think, you know, that's, just asking for trouble. I did an episode of Ghost Adventures, and we went to the Demon House in Seattle. And uh, I went into the room and started calling out the demon, and Zach and all the guys were like, holy crap, Dave, what are you doing? And 
off camera, I laughed. I said, they're like, wow, dude, what made you, what possessed you to do that? And I said, there's nothing here. There's no demon here. I, this place is more boring and flat than, uh, you know, my, my underwear drawer. There's nothing going on. So if I felt like there was really a demon here, I wouldn't be in there going, where are you now, big shot? Why don't you show yourself? Why don't you push me over the railing? I, there was nothing there. Nothing. Well, and house, you can house. just take it. That's my house. What? Yeah, I started to say Al's broadcasting from the demon house in Seattle right now. <laughs> Good on you. It's uh, dead flat in that place. Uh, you guys know which house I'm talking about, right? Yes, I remember the episode. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was funny because afterwards the owner, and I'm not going to keep repeating his name because I don't want to keep giving the guy more cred than he deserves, but um, <laughs> everything was getting broken off camera. Nothing really of consequence would get broken. Okay, so the ghosts were so pissed he was playing loud video games, they'd throw a candle holder. Well, why didn't they throw the candle holder through the TV? And when I questioned him about that, lo and behold, guess what happened the next week? His computer got broken. Something <laughs> important. And, and the, the demons nailed his jeans to the wall. Why? Why would they crucify a pair of Levi's? That makes no sense. And then... The 666 on his wall and the upside-down man, the ancient Indian design, all of these things were sponge, were sponge painted on the wall. Oh, boy. They were literally sponge painted. It was like this, it was, it was this very artsy demon who was like, oh, yes, I'm possessing this place, and it needs a splash of black right here. A nice 666 on the wall would be fantastic. That, to me, it, you know, it was an interior designing demon. This, this is just so wrought with BS. There was nothing dark about it. And I've been in some places where there's some darkness, and I think all three of you can attest to the fact you can feel it when something's bad. Yeah, of course. And there was nothing bad in that house. Well, when I haunt someplace, I'm going to start nailing skinny jeans up. <laughs> <laughs> the pants you never wore. Yes. Hold on. Hold on. Pull the hammer pants out of the closet. At least that makes sense. You're hammering the nail and nailing the pants to the wall. That would make more sense than nailing a pair of jeans to the wall. Yeah, my old parachute pants from the '80s. But yeah, uh, I, well, yeah, I, 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 you know, I was going to say when I when I went to uh, um, L.A. and I was with uh, you know David Omen in his house and you know the uh-huh. the Tate house. Oh, I thought that was just uh, a show. You know, it was just. Uh, nothing um you know i'll get complaints about that but it was nothing and i've never seen so many me- members of the media walking through a house and tours he had bus tours going through uh where sharon Tate yeah. was supposed to haunt and it was you know for, for me I, it's I, kind of weird yeah isn't it kind of weird that they would go down you know four houses down on the left <laughs> to go on that house yeah and, you know, I, I don't understand it. And uh, David Ullman and I, uh, yeah. he's a, he very mad at me about a year ago because I wouldn't post his events on my page. And I said, no, I said, it's not fair to the companies that hire me and bring me into these events. I advertise their events. And he started railing at me about I'm nothing but a money-hungry pig and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, really? Because isn't that what you're doing is trying to yeah. charge people to come to your house and investigate? What does that make you? I just... You know, I'm, I'm being loyal to the people that hire me and pay me to do what I do. So, um, 
Yeah, the Omen House now, I, I don't doubt that it's it's active, and it's definitely on some kind of vortex. So even Dr. Barry Taff has talked about that. He's been in there. It's made him so violently ill that he wouldn't go back in. Um, it's, it's a crazy place. But, again, where is the activity coming from? Yeah. Is it from the, the land? Because it is rich in all this, like, magnetite and granite and all that crap. Or is it the person living there? Is it David Omen's demons that are haunting that place? And I don't mean in the Beelzebub type demons, but his own his own machinations that have you know thought forms have created that that are doing what they do. So I don't know. It's it's hard for me to pinpoint. Well, you know, my, my problem with it was that uh, when he invited me there, and I was there had an hour, um, there was at least other twenty other press agents and people there. Plus, there was a a, a woman taking a tour of um, about 15 people through the house. Uh, there was so right. much activity in the house. How, how would you, you know what I mean? There was just too much going on. Um, right. You know, you'd have to have a private sitting in that house. Uh, it just didn't seem it was possible, but maybe it is, you know. Anyway. I don't know. I don't know. Well, we're wrapping up this hour. We've got a... Um, Say goodbye. No, you'll wrap it up when I say you can wrap it up. I'm not done talking. Well, you keep talking. <laughs> we've got we've got Lee Byron Lacey joining us. Excellent. Well, I thank you guys for having me on. Uh, you gentlemen and lady, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And uh, I had fun. I'd love to come back if you guys ever want to chat some more. Yeah, that would oh. be awesome. We'd always love to have you. You're always welcome. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys. Uh, have a great rest of your day, and uh, be nice to one another, be kind, love one another, and I'll talk to you again. Thanks very much, Dave. Awesome. Hi, Thank Dave. you, Dave. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.